Hello, my name is Matt Spiro and thank you ever so much for joining me on Le Bourgeois, Ligue 1's official podcast. In the latest in our series of exclusive interviews, Robbie Thompson talks to the former Australia national team coach Frank Farina. Now, Frank enjoyed spells in France with two of the country's biggest clubs, Strasbourg and Lille, back in the 1990s. He tells Robbie about how much he learnt and about how much Australian soccer as a whole has benefited from French expertise. You can rate our podcast on Spotify, Deezer, Google and Apple. Thank you so much for tuning in and I very much hope you enjoy Robbie Thompson's interview with Frank Farina. Frank Farina, uh, you arrived in France at Strasbourg. Can you tell us how that move came about? Because you'd, you'd won the league and the cup in Belgium. You'd finished top scorer in Belgium, best foreign player. You'd gone to Italy, which I imagine would have been something of a dream move because Italy was the championship at that time. And then after, after Bari, where you played with likes of Robert Yanni, David Platt, who was there, Zvonami Boban was in that Bari side as well, uh, a couple of legendary Italians as well. Then you came, you arrived in, in France with Strasbourg, who were a promoted side. And how, how big a change was that? I guess Belgium had helped you acclimatise a little bit, but, but France is different again. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, Italy, Italy didn't turn out exactly as I would have liked. Um, you know, back, back in that time, there was only three, three foreigners per team. Um, and then in the beginning, it was myself, David Platt, and Joao Paolo, a Brazilian guy. Uh, Yanni and Boban came later. This is after I'd left, but mm-hmm. uh, it didn't, didn't turn out as well as I would expe- expect. And then I was sort of almost went on loan. I went on loan actually to Notts County in the, the final year before the Premier League started. Mm-hmm. And then in that sort of interim period, um, uh, you know, interest came in from from Strasbourg. So, you know, through the manager Vlado uh, Pavkovic, Pavkovic, I think, um, you know, the, the meeting with Gilbert uh, Gress and uh, the, the diligence from from Strasbourg, we met and uh, yeah, decided that I'd, I'd sign a two three year deal there. And France was obviously a very good league. Uh, you know, a lot of good players playing in the league, and uh, it was a great move for me. Um, but unfortunately, things didn't didn't turn out. You know, they were a promoted side, and I felt was a very good a very good team. But uh, you know, great facilities and everything, and you know, but for me personally, unfortunately, I got injured. I think three days before the first game of that uh, that first season, I'd signed, and it was a pretty bad injury, which sort of I carried for almost a year. So. I would have, you know, would have loved to have had a more successful period there, but uh, my time in France, particularly Strasbourg, was was very enjoyable. The, let's let's talk about that first season then. Um, you scored, I think it was eight goals in the league, but I think you were probably the club's top scorer overall with with other goals. I've been running through the statistics. Frank Leboeuf was in that side. You played with uh, Mark Keller, who of course is a Strasbourg through and through, who's Who's now president of of Strasbourg Football Club? What 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 was it like? I mean, I know Bruges had had big fans and and big atmosphere in the stadium, but the Stade de la Menil in France is quite is quite famous for for the atmosphere as well. How how did it all gel together? Yeah, no, <clears throat> excuse me. No, the, the stadium, the fans were fantastic. I mean, we we played before some you know fantastic crowds here in, in Stade de la Menil, and. You know, I got to play with a World Cup winner. I didn't know it back then, but um, 
you know, Frank went on to to bigger and better things. And you know, you mentioned some names there. You know, great guys. I think the captain of the team at the time was uh, Yvon Polican. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but uh, yep. and a couple of very good young players who were coming through. And I think we had the Irishman there, Michael Hughes, as well. So you know, we 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 had a decent side, and you know, we were promoted. But uh, you know, the, the the club itself was was well run. I thought. Uh, fantastic supporters, um, beautiful stadium. Um, so you know, it was uh, everything was there for you know, the, the recipe was all there. Um, but you know, for me personally, it was a sort of up and down roller coaster ride of the season. That how did you have to play? Gilbert Gress has a, a incredible reputation. He was something of a a legend at Strasbourg. He he was a player there. He was a local boy, done good. He took them to the yes. league title. In 1979, oh, I think Arsene Wenger played played with him at that time as well, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Arsene yeah, didn't. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that he he went off and played in Germany, and I think he came back with lots of ideas of of how a, a football side should play. How did you find it? He's I'm not sure he was the easiest guy to get along with. There seems to always have been problems around the club, which is often the case for a a, a local boy who who comes back and and has strong ideas, but tactically, it, he was right into fitness, wasn't he, and, and discipline and oh, all yeah. that sort of thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much into fitness and discipline. Um, but, you know, I, I, I actually very, very much enjoyed uh, his outlook on things. He was very, very uh, um, thorough in what he did, um, and he expected, you know, he expected a lot. Um, you know, I, I know he annoyed some players and whatever, you know, with me at some times, but you know, looking back on it with the benefit of hindsight and, and becoming a manager myself, I, 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 I saw where he was coming from. And, but he was very hard. And I think, you know, all of us footballers, whether we like to admit it or not, we like that because at the end of the day, you know, we, we love having a very regimented lifestyle. And, and you know, we, we turn up, we get good money to, play, you know, to play football and everything's laid on for us. So, you know, I thought tactically he was very astute. Um, you know, we didn't do as well as that much probably everyone would have liked in that in my first two years there. But from a management point of view, coaching point of view, I I, I had and still have a lot of respect for Azubay. Um, he was uh, for me. You know, I wanted to give more, but unfortunately, as I said, I I had a few issues with it with injuries to my ankle particularly. Uh, and it all seemed to happen when I went away on international duty, which didn't help. So Gilbert was never impressed with that stuff, I can tell you, but um, particularly Australian. So, but no, I, I, you know, I didn't. I enjoyed playing under him because you knew you knew where you stood. You you weren't left wondering. You know, he didn't leave you guessing at what you wanted. You know? And we had the the Czech captain there at the time who had a lot a lot of injuries. I think Ivan Hasek as well, who was a, it was a great guy as well. But uh, so we, we also had a went on to, to coach Ivan. Yes, Hasek Ivan did along and coached yeah. here in France. Stephen Keshi, yeah, yeah, as well. Stephen Keshi, uh, the Nigerian, was also there. So national you look team at it, coach, you know, we, yeah, as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, we we had a good side, and uh, um, but in terms of the, of Gilbert, I, I you know I had my times with him, as I, I think everyone <laughs> did. Frank, as Frank would have told you, Frank Leboeuf, yeah. uh, we all had our moments with him, but. You know, at least you knew where you stood with him. He was, you know, he was, he was arrogant. He was, you know, he had been successful with them and he knew what it took to be a winner. And I guess uh, he expected it, you know, from us. 
That you, you mentioned that that France was a a good championship at that time. You guys had a good team. We know that Marseille that first year you were in France went all the way to win the the very you first Champions up, yeah. League. Exactly. Yes. Paris Saint Germain, I think, made semi finals that year. Of yeah, they were a good Mexico. side as well. Yeah. Exactly. What was it like to play against? I mean, that Marseille side. Do you remember taking on a side and and because people don't realise now, or people have understandably we, we're starting to turn back the clock a few years now but memories have yeah. faded of, of of a different era of football when different countries I mean Belgium had sides that were making the the quarterfinals the semi-finals the finals of European competitions as well every country seemed to be much stronger back then yeah exactly and you know that that year with Marseille won the won the Champions League, I think they'd be uh, AC Milan, or so, mm. I think, in the final 1-0. And, you know, as a striker, um, coming up against Marseille at that time, when you had, I think, Boli and Desai, who were mm. centre-backs, you know, both great <laughs> athletes, you know, they were quick. You know, one of my strengths was I was fast, but you're coming up against two guys who are just as fast as you. So, you know, and they were... <laughs> and twice you as know, big. Physi- <laughs> and, and twice as big, you know, physically monsters and... You know that they had a very, very good side, and I, you know, I think that Rudy Foller was playing for them then, and yeah. um, I think a, a Croatian or the Serbian, Boxic, uh, kind of, Boxic Alan Boxic, yeah. yeah. So you know, and Didier Deschamps was also, I think, in, in that um, in that time. But so they, they had a great side, and, and Paris also had a very good team. I think Ray was there, and yeah. I think Ginola was still still yeah. young, young and coming through. So. Yeah, it was, it was a very was good league. There. Yeah, George Ware was yeah. was was here as well, and um, it was a uh, you know when you look at playing in likes of Monaco and uh, the teams you mentioned there, it, it was a, it was a strong league, the French league, and uh, you know again it was different times in Europe. Uh, you know before the times of everyone being sold on, I think England then there was only one or two foreigners playing there. You know, I think yeah. Cantona yeah. was one of the one of the first and. I almost ended up playing with him, you know, at one stage. Uh, we were both in Sheffield at the time when Sheffield Wednesday were looking at, at signing us and uh, he went to Leeds and I went to Notts County on loan, so that wasn't to be. But when you talk of the French League, it was it was a great great period of time, you know, and, and good uh, good crowds in every stadium you went to. Uh, what did you, you take then? You spoke about Gilbert Gress that... I know that you came on to you went on as soon as you'd finished from France. You were you returned to Australia where you were almost immediately into a player coach role. I think, yeah, was it that first yeah, season? Yeah, I had one year playing. Season? Yeah, okay. Uh, the second season, I went yeah. into that. Yeah, and so quite successfully as well. But did you pick up from from every single coach? And did you already have an idea? You were in France from the the age of twenty seven to twenty nine thirty. Was it that period where you started thinking, you know? Started watching everything and thinking I can become a coach. No, to be honest, I, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I think I got back to Australia when uh, I was thirty-one, um, and I wasn't even thinking about it then. To be honest, it, it sort of fell in, it just fell into my lap. To be, uh, to be fair, and uh, but you know, I, got, I I thoroughly enjoyed my time in Europe with the, the different managers. You know, Gilbert was one, and I think Jean Fernandez in Lille as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, you, you always saw the passion. That's what struck me about um, Europe. Always has in terms of football is, you know, the the, the passion of the of the, the managers and and the, and the supporters and the and the players. But um, 
you know, you, you can see why. Obviously, once it's in your blood, it, it, it never gets out. And even me, when I started coaching, I realised, you know, your mind is a wonderful thing, you know. It, it, it confuses you all the time. You, you still think, oh, I used to be able to do that. I did that better or whatever. But uh, why can't they do this, you know? <laughs> so, no, I, you know, I, I, I eventually, once we, I went into management, yeah, remembered a lot of things from, from different people, you know. The, 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 you mentioned Jean Fernandez. That was, so you had your two seasons at Strasbourg. Then you got the, a move to a, another very passionate regional part of France, which is the north, back up near, near Belgium, Lille. And after, I guess Strasbourg, you didn't have so many derby matches, maybe, but at Lille, there, it's, mm. it's derby territory. And how, how did yes. it feel when they're there? I know the Strasbourgeois are very proud people and, and, and strong identity, but at Lille, it's a little bit more compact. You've got your rivals. You had your mate, Robbie Slater, who was about Lens, 50 yeah. kilometres away at, at Lens <laughs> as well. How, how, how was that? He'd probably left by the time you were at Lille, yeah? Yes. I think. Uh, yeah. Or maybe... Yeah, close to. Yeah. Close yeah. to. No, he was still there, I think, and then I think he left in 94, 94, 95 to go to Blackburn. Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure. Exactly. So how, how was that Lille experience and under Jean Fernandez, who a very, very different character to, to Gilbert Bresse? Yeah, very different. Very, um, you know, it was like he was on something every day he came to training. He was, he was another one that was very, very passionate about things. And, uh, yeah, it, you know, my, my, my three seasons in France were, they weren't, from my perspective, mm. um, I wasn't at my best. And I, I, I thought, you know, even when I went to Lille, I had a, an ongoing problem with my Achilles, which was the beginning of the ankle problem in Strasbourg. And um, so at Lille, it was, it was, it was tough. But in terms of, as you say, the, the region and that, when you, you know, a lot of, a lot of derbies. Mm. Um, and, and again, you know, the thing that struck me, we had good crowds, you know, you, people would, you could have 20, 25, 30,000 or something. And in some stadiums, it still looked like there could be more people, but you know, that was, that were great crowds. And, um, Great atmosphere, and again, I, I I enjoyed my time in Lille. The three years I had in France were fantastic. You scored you scored a couple of goals against Lens in a derby match. Do you do you remember that one? A three one win. Yeah, because it you was one of my yeah go. It was one of my last. I think one of my last games for for, for Lille. Yeah, and we. I think it was at home as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's just pity Robbie wasn't there then. You know, would have <laughs> really loved that one. But um, yeah, it it, it was, but. Uh, yeah, I would have liked to have had a lot more memories like that. All right. I have a, a, a series of... Well, another question about Jean Fernandez. then. Could, he was a, a player, a, a coach, well, a player first with Marseille uh, amongst others. But in terms of his coaching, he was the one that really first brought through Zinedine Zidane, for example, mm-hmm. at, at Cannes when he was there. He went on... That's correct, he also yeah. went and found Frank Ribéry, for example, who was yeah. playing in Boulogne up up near near Lille, went and got him and took him to to Metz, where where he first made played in Ligue 1. He could you see that he had that that passion? I think it sounds almost inspirational. Was he very good with the younger players? Because that's something that France is famous for as well. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, I, you could see that, and I think there was uh, from Lille. We had a young player at the time, uh, Antoine Sibieski, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah was at Lille at the time and, um, you know, Jean really liked him, you know, you could see. And he was a good player. He was a tall lad and you know, he was good on the ball, but he was, 
he was still growing into his body, I thought at the time, but uh, he was a good player and, and you know, John gave him a lot of chance, you know, to, yeah. to break through, which he did. I think he went on to play for France at, at some stage yeah, as well. Absolutely. I'm not sure. He and went to England as well. Manchester City. I think he spent a, a few seasons but before yes, the City yeah. of today. But, yeah, he had a, he had a good career. Yeah, and, and John, I think uh, he had a good eye for players. You know, you could you could see that with the, the young ones, and you know, but as you said, France were 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 very good in terms of developing young players. Even at Strasbourg, where you had the likes of Martin Jetou, I think, mm, came yep, through, and exactly. Olivier Dacor. Uh, they were young players at that time in, in in Strasbourg. So, you know, the French were doing it really well in terms of their, their development, uh, youth development. And when you when you see coaches. You saw coaches, particularly like uh, Jean Fernandez. You know, you can see why. What were those? What were those youngsters like? I mean, everyone will have will know of Olivier Dacour after his time at Leeds and in England and into yeah. Milan. He went uh, uh, played a little bit everywhere. Martin Jetu also played in England and in Italy with Parma. Right. I think Monaco, a league winner, probably. Yeah, what, yeah. another big boy. How? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were, what were the youngsters like coming coming through? Was there a, a good feeling, or, or you know, we sometimes think about young young players who are there to ambitious and everything. What was a young Olivier Decor like, for example? Do you remember? Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember. They were they were they were confident young boys. You know, you could see. But the you know the system was that they were. I'm not sure exactly how it worked, but they were they were with a club for a certain period of time before they could be transferred or whatever. Yeah. And some of these boys most probably could have gone to other clubs, but under the the way the system worked, which obviously was very good. So you know they weren't earning great money when they were that age, but. You know the passion was there. You you could see that they had eyes to <clears throat> to do bigger and better things. And you know, I always found I never found one of the, the young players in France. They were cocky, but cocky's good. You know, in my sense, anyway. You know, I'd, I'd, it's so hard to give somebody confidence in that. Uh, and and they had it, but they weren't um, disrespectful. They were always very respectful. And and I'll be honest when I say it, um, I never came across a young player who was. Uh, you know, anything but professional and very respectful in terms of you know, elder players and where they wanted to be. I think that another thing about France, and everyone I talk to says it, I see it when, when I'm commentating matches in the, in the French Cup, for example, and I, I, I assume it was similar back then, certainly in Italy, I think it would have been very similar. Aside in the third division or fourth division can be tactically so strong, so so difficult to play, even though they're almost amateur football. There's something ingrained in in the way the European approach to football is. You may be down in the fourth division. You may never be going to play first division football, but tactically, you're sound. You understand the game, and it, it, everything is harder in Europe when you're a player. Oh, without doubt, no, without doubt, and you know it's you know the Serie B in in Italy, for example, it's it's a tough competition, you know, yeah. it's a tough league, um, and and in France, as you say, you go down through the the divisions, it's and that's the beauty of it, you know, that's the beauty where you've got you know the beauty of the cup competitions and and whatever, but uh, and that that's what true football is, you know. Unfortunately, we don't we don't have that in Australia, but uh, that's. That's the thing I loved about about Europe, you know. And you, you look at the, the competitive nature of of all the clubs, um, 
you know, you, you, I'd come across teams that were playing from the fourth division or something, whether it was in Belgium or, or Italy or, or France, and, you know, they were still competitive. You could lose to these teams and people would think it's unheard of. You can't, you know, but it, it does. We've seen it, you know, for forever and a day. So, But I, I think that the key to, to France being so successful was, you know, the the, the Centre de Formation where they, yeah. you know, and then they had the... Uh, what's the main training headquarters? Clairefontaine. Claire, Claire Fontaine, yeah. Um, you know, that, that that was, they poured a lot of money into that, the French Football Federation, you know, and, and we've seen the results. And that back in those days, um, I was on first hand to, to see the, the sort of beginning or just after the beginning of it. And, and look what happened after that. Yeah. I think the French got it very, very right there. And uh, yeah, it's credit to them. Uh, looking at, at young Australian players now, because it's a, and I know it's hard to compare eras and different generations, but but in those days, Australians had players playing in Italy, Spain, Germany, in England, in the top divisions, in France as well. And nowadays, we see less Australians. We see more Australians in in. Asia in playing J League, playing in the Chinese League. Why is that? And is it is it normal? Is it understandable? Or or is it would it be better to see more Australians back in Belgium, in the Netherlands, maybe as a first step, of a, and eventually in in Europe's top leagues? Yeah, look, I think for me, and it's only my 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 humble opinion, but uh, back in those times, our development structures and our development setups in, in Australia were much better than what they are now. Mm-hmm. And anyone who, 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 who says differently would have to convince me, uh, you know, very much that um, our, our development is the same. Our, you know, our academies, our institutes of sports. You know, back then we saw all the players that, you, you know, you mentioned that were playing, you know, and we're we're talking back then, I would say 80% of them that were over there um, in Europe were playing, you know, pretty much regular first-team football yeah. or, you know, very much on the fringe of first-team football at big clubs, at, in big leagues around the world. Um, you know, obviously, the more numbers that go over, that's not going to be possible purely numbers-wise. But uh, I personally think, um, you know, our over the past 10, 15 Maybe 20 years, our development systems or our structure uh, have, have gone backwards. And that's, that's me being brutally honest. Um, you know, I hate to say that. And that's not through any, any fault of any one individual. I think it's just a, a result of, you know, changes and things that have happened, um, whether it be with, with governments you know, dropping funding or, you know, the A-League starting with, you know, the government was saying, well, these clubs are professional now, fully professional. They should be involved with the development. We're going to pull our money out of the academies. Uh, so, yeah, there's been a lot of reasons for it. But in a nutshell, I think that's, uh, from my viewpoint, uh, the reason why we don't see that as prominent as it was back in those days. Do you think the, the I mean, the players are, are not as good as, as 20, 30 years ago? Or, or is it a choice of thinking... I, do I need to go and do it tough and learn my trade in somewhere like France or Belgium or the Netherlands, or or can I just go straight into first team football in in China, or 
you know, or or elsewhere. I'm not trying to be too judgmental, but I'm just trying to understand. Oh, no, no, no. Understand. The players why. are definitely the players are definitely good enough, but uh, you know, I don't have all the answers. But you know, money plays a big factor. I yeah. mean, players that only have a short uh, lifespan, as we know. But um, yeah, you know, going into Asia, you can earn good money. Yeah. And, and let's be brutally honest, the the Asian leagues are not as as bearing or as, uh, as hard in, in terms of you know how many games you're playing in a season yeah. uh, you know you go to Europe and you you, know, you, you could be playing 30 40 50 games yeah. in a calendar year if you know with all the cup competitions the preseason the, the the competition itself European if you're in that international so, you know, if you're an international international yeah. it's a it's a hard slog you know yeah. um, so you know there's there's a number of factors I, I guess you know that uh, why players are not going. I mean, obviously all around the world back then, um, you know, the Africans were slowly coming in. You know, they were great players as well. It was similar to Australia. When I first went, there was only three or four of us playing in, in Europe. Um, and, and same with the Africans. And then, so they've, you know, they've improved. The Asians, you know, there was hardly any Asians in, in Europe back then, but now they've improved. So there's only so many that you, you can get in, so you know maybe that's a that's a factor as well. So um, and you know European countries obviously producing players as well. So yeah, there's exactly. a number of factors you can look at, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't really have the answer to that one. All right, I'll keep looking. I'll keep looking. So. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right, I have some quick fire questions. I think I gave you a fair warning that this would be this would be coming to get you to go back through the old photos and memories and see if you could. <laughs> dredge, dredge up some Frank Frank Leboeuf, who I was talking talking to just last yeah. week, did say, "Look, I hate to say it, but it was a long time ago now when he was <laughs> when he was at Strasbourg <laughs> coming through." Well, me range. too. <laughs> All right, Frank. Um, what was and short and sweet the strangest thing for you arriving in France about French culture? What was the the French thing that 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 really twigged with you? Um, well, apart from the food, that even if they spoke English, they didn't speak English to you. <laughs> so that was one of the big things, you know. And then I used to struggle with my French and I'd be trying to my best and then they'd say, oh, this is how you say it. Like, and I'm going, you speak English. But they, you know, a lot of them, not, not all of them spoke English, but they were two things, you know, you know, the, the food, the wine and, and that particular thing about French people that, uh, you know, they wouldn't speak to you even if they spoke English. It's incredible. Everyone, everyone has said that that I've spoken to in the last two weeks. From a, a, the yeah. American captain Carlos Bocanegra, who I spoke to, Mile Stojovsky, mm. your your compatriot, yeah. Who, yeah. who said the same thing. In, incredible. Who was your? Well, best... it's funny with Frank. Yeah. With Frank, Frank Leboeuf, You know, he didn't speak any English when not when I first got there. But he he was wanting to learn because we used to go together in the car sometimes. Him and Jose Cabos used to take yeah. me to yeah. to the, the the woods where Gilbert used to have us running and. Frank and Jose would want to learn words, you know, and um, obviously I'd teach him all the bad words. And yeah. and yet you see Frank LeBeouf now, he's working on TV, speaks better English than me. <laughs> well, he, he lived in America, didn't he? And, and exactly, to, yeah. was, I think he was involved in the film industry in Hollywood for, for yeah, a Yeah, because I saw him on ESPN when I was travelling through America once and he was on the panel and I thought, Jesus, Frank, what are you doing here? Anyway. Well, that's probably thanks to you that you gave, you gave him the <laughs> basics. <laughs> who was who was a, a a really solid teammate? You mentioned, and not to put words in your mouth, but 
Michael Hughes was a Northern Irishman. I guess he he must have been an important guy for you in the in the dressing room, though, when you when you first arrived in Strasbourg, or were you both trying to play a, a similar position? And there was a bit of <laughs> no, no, he was he was Michael was more a you know wide left player, yeah, and um, he was he was a, he was a, he was a young kid when he came to yeah, Strasbourg, you know, he's yeah. only twenty one, and we lived in the same apartment building, so we got along really well, you know, and um, yeah, well, we, we played quite a few tricks on each other along the way, and uh, he, he was a great guy. So no, he, he was he was you know, a, a good friend and a, and a very good player at the time as well. Is, is there is there someone that you're still in contact with from the Strasbourg or Lil Lil days? Someone that you you still chat to or message occasionally? No, well, one from uh, Lil, the Danish guy, Jakob Friesansen. Yeah. You know, every now and then uh, we've had a bit of contact, but uh, not of late. To be honest, not in the last few years. Was there is there anyone that you'd 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 like to get back in contact with, or anyone that you thought he was a he was a good guy back then? Yeah, look, I, you know, Mark Keller, you, you mentioned yeah. Mark was, you, know, you, you mentioned the word gentleman. There was a lot of gentlemen, in, in, particularly in, in Strasbourg, because I was there a bit longer. But, uh, you know, Frank LaBeouf, I saw him later when in 2001 we played the Confederations Cup. I was yeah. the, the coach of Australia. He was, he was still playing for France then. And, um, you know, we caught up in Korea. Uh, my son's still got his jersey, by the way, so he, my son's <laughs> real happy. He got sent off but, you know, in that game. He did. <laughs> he did in one of the games anyway. Uh, I think it was, yeah. yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned, Yvonne Polycar, uh, Stefan Keshi, I've caught up with a few times over the years when he was coaching as well. So, But, um, yeah, it would be great to, to uh, you know, a lot of people have reunions, I guess, over the years. But uh, who knows, maybe one day. Who was the, the most skillful player or the, the best footballer that you, that you played with in your time in France? Or played with, yeah, in France. Um, look, there were there were there were a number of players. I mean, Frank Leboeuf as a you know a centre back. Frank was playing at that time, but you know I think Frank fancied himself as a striker, and because he scored a few goals, but yeah, yeah. particularly from free kicks and whatever. And he was he was elegant. You know, he was uh, Laurent Blanc and him. I, I I liked the way that they played. You know, um, I'm not just giving Frank a rap because you know. I, I was with him, and he, he went on to win the World Cup uh, with France. But he, he was a player I, you know, I thought could have played in most most places, most countries, which he proved out to be right. He played with Chelsea for a long time, and, mm. but uh, he was one player that, that stood out for me first up in when I got to Strasbourg for sure. And he would have been a, a, a youngster, more or less, a, a young he was, a young yeah. player back then. Who was the he craziest? Was. He had a bad mullet. Oh yeah. Excellent. Oh, he had a bad mullet going on at that time. Okay, because he's got a bit of a hair issue in other respects yeah. these days. <laughs> yes, yes. Who was the craziest guy you played with? And, I, and, and again, you've mentioned Jose Cobos there who Cobos. went on to have a long, crazy career as well. But who was, who was yeah. someone you thought best, best steer clear of him or a little bit crazy in a tackle at, at training? And Oh, gee. Oh, no. Well, it was... Um... I, I don't know. I think Stephen Keshi, you didn't really want to upset him. He was he, he was a he was a big fella, but he was a gentle giant. I think he had about five kids or something, <laughs> or five or six kids. And I used to always say to him, Stephen, I said, "What is it? It's not cold winters in Nigeria, mate. I know that." So, uh, but he he was a big guy. You didn't want to upset. Uh, but you know, all all the rest, it, it was a professional environment. So you mm. you know, we all relied on each other for 
for results and that. So the last thing you wanted to do was really to, to kick anyone. There were some clumsy ones around the place, but uh, I think, you know, Keshi would have been one of them that you, you know, you saw him coming and you thought, oh, bugger it. You know, step over the ball, let him have it <laughs> in training anyway. It's, it's, it's interesting that what you, what you say, because I think a lot of people outside of football don't, necessarily understand it they think about egos well particularly now with the star structure and how big some players are but but people looking from the outside don't understand that if you can play with a player who will win you matches or win you trophies that the 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 team spirit overrides everything doesn't it i mean the idea is you're there to win even if and obviously you want to play and all this sort of thing but you want to play with the best possible players and you want to win football matches and win trophies and that it overrides everything. Oh, hundred percent. And, and I can tell you a brief story on that one. You know, when I was a young player, I was coming through and here in Australia, but it was a European coach who coached me and I had a, they used to call me cranky Frankie for whatever reason, I don't know. But anyway, I got into a punch up one night of training with this guy who was a very good player. And, you know, it went on and on. And uh, anyway, it stopped it. And, you know, the next week or two days later, the manager called called me in to a meeting and he obviously called the other guy in. And, you know, he said to me, what's going on? And I said, ah, yeah, excuse my language, but I said, he's a wanker. And he goes, yeah, all right. He said, "Uh, what do you think of him as a player? And I said, he's a good player, but he's a wanker. And he said, well, if you had to pick 11 to go on the park, would he be in your 11? I said, yeah, he'd be first on the team sheet. It doesn't change the fact he's a wanker. And he said, well, okay, would you rather win with wankers or lose with your mates? And I said, hmm, fair point. So, yeah, basically what you've said in a nutshell, you know, you know, some people you don't need to get along with, but I can tell you in a professional environment, we all want to win and you don't all have to be home friends. Yeah. But, um, you know, as long as everyone goes on the park and gets the results, that's all that matters. Absolutely. Who was your your meanest opponent that you and you mentioned a couple in that that great Marseille side? But who was who was oh. someone a bit like Stephen Keshi in training that you that you played against and you knew that you were going to be in for a tough afternoon? Well, Desai and Bolly for sure. That's yeah. uh, without doubt. You know, they were they were um, as I said, they were they were you know particularly Desai was a great player, but he was a beast. You know, he was yeah. a mountain, and um, and you know. He could be nasty. You know, Bolly could be very nasty, but uh, <laughs> they were two that you, you knew you were, you were up for a game when you, you went on the field with them. He's a, he's a, well, they're both. I work, I work with uh, Marcel Desailly at, as part of our TV station here in, in France quite a lot. And Basil Bolly is still involved at Marseille. He, he travels with the team. He's got a sort of fantastic a, yeah. a role with the club. And they're both gentle giants as well. It's so often the case, isn't it? Off the, off the pitch. Off the pitch, They're yeah. Lovely guys. Crazy. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Who was the best player that you that you think you probably played against? Most skillful. Who's a player when you were when you were playing you thought, hmm, okay, this is this is Well, good. you mentioned before in, in France, it was a young Zidane who was playing with Bordeaux at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, and I went to kick him once, honestly, in a game. Uh, and I couldn't get near him. And I actually went in to try and, you know, hurt him. But uh, even at that stage, uh, it, it, you could see he had something. He was he was only very young when he went to, to Bordeaux, yeah, I think, yeah, or yeah. in his 20s, or same as Le Beuf and then. But you could see automatically. Uh, it's easy to say that in hindsight now after you see the career he had. But 
he was a tall lad, and yeah, he he had that strut, you know, that uh, that walk, yeah, that you know, with, without him even meaning it, I think that it was saying, you know, look at me, you know, I can play. And he had a full and head of hair. Fortunately, he could. <laughs> <laughs> he did as well. True. <laughs> All but right. He was one that stood out definitely. Fantastic, Frank. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>